Hey everyone, this is Michael McLean from Scott Running, and you're listening to Nomad Wolf. Get out there and explore your potential. Ever miss the mark you set for yourself? You may be left vulnerable, feeling stuck in a low point, questioning your abilities to go out and perform what's staring back at you again. But in the midst of this dark time, you begin again, step by step, this time a bit smarter. But what's changed? Your approach. You've asked for help along the way, and those people have begun to light your path with answers and belief. My name is Glenn Gabriel, and this is the Nomad Wolf Podcast, a show about life, sport, business, and everything we could eat in between. We connect with high performers, endurance athletes, biohackers, mindset coaches, and pretty much anyone around the world with the appetite to challenge their potential, thus uplifting and unlocking everyone else's ability to seek theirs. So whether you're going from couch to 5k, or you're a long workout weekend warrior, we hope you find what you've been looking for, or what's been looking for you. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nomad Wolf. This week we're back with another expat living in Thailand but one who recently crushed the 100K Thailand by UTMB course by coming in first overall, sponsored by Scott Running, T8 and Bix Hydration, Michael McLean started ultra running in 2016 and literally hasn't stopped. Some of his most notable wins besides the Thailand by UTMB is also the Mayhong Song 100K, the V-Trail 52K, sixth place in the Namibia, stage race which is 250 kilometers uh and then plenty of top fives in the asian trail master series so without further introduction like he needs any mike it's awesome to chat with you on nomad wolf hey glenn awesome to be here uh glad to be on the show and then be chatting with you and you know share some maybe hopefully some some words of wisdom with everybody else and if not just leave everybody with a smile i mean that's awesome. that's my goal every day <laughs> <laughs> and you have one great smile I, i've been reading all of the I, i've been doing some research and everybody has awesome words to say about your your smile spot on <laughs> i got the trademark it yeah you you do that that has to be your next logo um so uh, before we get into the interview, as is tradition with the uh, Nomad Wolf Coffee Talk series, I'm not sure if you're a really big coffee drinker, but if you are, how do you like your coffee? And if you had a favorite coffee shop in the world, where would that be? Oh, definitely. I, I'm a coffee connoisseur. I could give up essentially everything else except coffee and just, you know, sit there somewhere in, in a little shack somewhere, as long as I had great coffee in the morning and, and a nice cup of coffee after supper, a nice espresso. Oh, um, I like that. And, and I, I don't think I have the, you know, a favorite per se coffee shop in the world. Um, my favorite coffee memory though, was when I had climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in 2014 and we were coming down and it was just me and the guide um, there and we had lots of extra time before the rest of the, the group was going to meet us at base camp for the ride. Um, so he said, hey, why don't we take a little detour? And we went to a coffee plantation. Um, and, wow. and there they brewed up some coffee. And it was basically brewed in a, in a metal pot, grounds into water, stirred with a wooden stick. And they just scooped out a cup of coffee out of there. And that was 
the best cup of coffee I've ever had. I've, I've never found anything like it again. It was just a, a cool spot, a cool memory and, and a cool cup of coffee. And that was after you climbed Mount Kilimanjaro? Correct. Correct. That was after we had summited Kilimanjaro. So you were on just literally a high and then also a big coffee high. That's yeah, exactly. So, so maybe, maybe, you know, the, the extra altitude and the, you know, the coffee, everything just mixed to make it that perfect cup of coffee. And I think that's what, you know, makes coffee makes ultra running that it's so special for me. It's, it's when you mix everything, it's not one single element. It's the mixture of every element that mm. just makes it worthwhile. I, I know how you feel. I feel that way whenever I go out for my morning <laughs> run and then I come back and then I, I, I get my AeroPress out and make my morning cup of Joe after I run. And I'm just like, you know, I have the runners high and then I also have my coffee high and I'm just, I feel like I can take on anything that day, yep. whatever is in front of me. Definitely. Definitely. I'm, I'm, I'm the same routine. So, so our routines are very similar. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So jumping right in. And of course I, we have to kick things off with your most recent win at UTMB Thailand. How are you feeling? I, I expect, I mean, on top of you probably having coffee today or every day of this week and then <laughs> on, on your win, you're probably still on cloud nine. Yeah, it, it's still really surreal. I had my weekly video conference call with my trail running coach yesterday and that's really what we spoke about. It's just, for me, it's a really surreal feeling. Every time I look at pictures of, of the race or of a post or the really great video um, that was made by Thailand um, UTMB there, the 23 minute video, you just watch that stuff and, and all these emotions come back and your hair kind of stands up and then you just feel really, really cool. And, and we had this discussion. I mean, that race for me will be a race that I'll be telling my, my grandkids about. Um, and for me, it wasn't because of the victory in the race, winning, that, that's great, that's awesome. Um, but it was just the whole experience of the race and, and how I was through the race and, and how I you know um, maintained that smile and I was happy the whole time. Um, that generally doesn't happen in many ultras. You always find that there is a, a low point or you have the... You know, the, the hurt locker, as some people call it, or the, the deep, dark place. Um, it never really hit me in that race. And I just had a lot of fun. I took, I mean, I'm in probably more selfies than I've ever taken in my life with everybody along the course. People were wanting pictures and I was stopping and taking selfies. And for me, that's a really cool thing because I have that, you know, and that's something I'm, I'm proud of. I was able to run like that, win that race, but also take pictures with people, make them smile make myself smile and, and they've got a picture to show someone, Hey, this guy won the race, but he still had time to stop and take a picture, have a smile, you know, enjoy the scenery. So, so for me, that's, that's the bigger accomplishment than crossing the finish line in first place. Wow. That that's incredible. I mean, thinking back to my own race doing Inthanon four, I mean, everybody had to deal with the mud and it's, it's crazy that or at least it's crazy from my perspective that you didn't experience any sort of low point, even traversing like a, a course like that when, you know, you had heavy rains and I didn't know how to prepare for a course like that besides <laughs> going through it, you know? So yeah. it, it's, it's really incredible um, that, yeah, you, you kind of just went through that whole course with a big smile on your face. It's really, really inspiring. Yeah. And it just, 
you have to draw on your, your inner kid, right? If it was raining and muddy like that, and we were four and five year old kids, mm. and what would be the first thing we would do? We would either put on mud boots or we would just put on our best shoes that we could find just because mom and dad told us not to. And we would run outside and we would go straight for the first puddle we could find. That's true. And we would jump in it. We would smile. We'd be happy. So as adults, we kind of lose that. We lose that. Oh, I, I shouldn't get muddy. I shouldn't enjoy this wet, you know, nasty, slippery weather that it was, but I just, you know, basically reverted to my inner kid and just enjoyed it. You know, Hey, I'm out here in this beautiful area, got some really cool people to run with and Hey, why not enjoy it? I mean, you can't control it. So if, if you focus on it and you worry about it, it's only gonna, you know, eat into your mental energy that you need yeah. to yeah. reserve because the race is long and, and yeah. even the instant on four and congratulations yourself on, on finishing. I mean, it was, it was no picnic out there, especially yeah. with, as you know, the course, the slipping, the sliding, the down on all fours, going up hills, and you can either do one or two things. You can embrace it and have fun doing it, or you can be miserable, but you're going to be miserable for a long time. So there, to me, there's no point. Yeah. There's no point in, in <coughs> yourself in that hole. Right. Because like you said, the, 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 the race is long, so you have to, you have to enjoy every moment that you can. Right. Yep. For sure. Um, there was probably a hard segment during that race that you had to still overcome. Right. Yeah, for sure. You, you always have the, the challenging parts, right. And then where your, your legs are starting to hurt and your, your body's starting to hurt or your mind's playing, playing tricks on yourself. Um, and, and that, that always happens. Um, but, uh, for me, what, what segment was that for you during that race? So, so for me, there was two kind of sections where it got tougher for me, I would say. Um, one was the segment from aid station two to three. Um, and, and you would have ran that segment as well. And it's the one you come up and it's really beautiful views and you're going up through kind of the farmlands and it's getting steeper and it's getting steeper and it's getting steeper. And then you get into this really dense tree cover and the views disappear and it goes like this. So you're basically going straight up and it almost seemed to, to never end. It was like, you know, the torturing stairmaster that your personal trainer gives you when you've missed too many workouts just after Thanksgiving. Right. And, and that's, that's what it kind of felt like. It was just that burn. It was like, it, you know, are we ever going to get to the top of this thing? And you didn't have any reference points because you, you couldn't see, any daylight you couldn't see where you were you couldn't see the crest of the hill because it was just dense forced and straight up yeah plus um, it was really foggy for you right and, and it was really really foggy um but once we once we crested that that was kind of you know yeah it was maybe getting to a low point but i still enjoyed it um but once we crested the top and you ran a, a couple hundred meters it, it just kind of opened up i didn't get to see a lot of the views because it was really foggy but there was a photographer there and, and they were taking some really cool pictures and they had a thai flag so i ran up i stopped grabbed the thai flag waved it at the summit for a bit you know just like i had conquered the hill and you know i was staking claim to this and that just got me back into the to the mindset of hey you know what the lactic acid starting to release and let's go bomb some downhills and, and then you know kind of recovered on the downhill segment i love that um, i love and then the other the flag and you celebrated it's almost like yeah. broke the pattern of you know you went through this hard climb it's awesome that you took the time to celebrate 
And that's what you need to do in ultras. You have to break them down into small little victories, you know, aid station to aid station. I get to the next aid station. What, what's my reward? Okay. I'm going to have this and this and this perfect. And then I'm going to move on to the next one and the next one and the next one. And you just break it down into bite-sized chunks. And, and that's how I handle getting through longer races. Um, and I think the second kind of lower point for me, which is typically one that I experience in most races, some I go through it quick, some I don't, is about an hour after sunset. So, you know, you got a, a beautiful sunset or it's dusk period, everything looks different, it's really nice, but then you're starting to get into the night running. Once I'm into it and into running with a headlamp, I really enjoy night running, but it's that transition from running in the day to, to running at night. And it's typically the, the area where most of us eat our, our bigger meal or our supper. And you're just kind of missing the creature comforts. Then, you know, you're missing the warmth and you're missing not having your feet soaking wet for nine, 10 hours previously. Yeah. Um, so it, it's always just, for me, it's typically a, a, a lower area in the races. Um, but then, then you just have to use any trick you develop or, or things to get through it. Um, one of the things I use is I always take some of my nutrition. Then, um, I have some, some gels from, from Unived and one of them has a hundred milligrams of caffeine in it. So that's my trail coffee. I call it, it it's called double espresso flavor. So that's, that's my trail coffee. Um, and, and generally I try and save that one. And, and that's that moment where I'll take it, you know, just as you're getting it tonight, you need that extra boost. You need something to pick you up. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then you just start feeling warm, warm and happy again and you're off to the races. Yeah. I, I remember <laughs> when, um, yeah, sunset happened and I, I was, I, we just crested over that really big hill at a three and, um, or not hill it's it's literally a mountain uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um and yeah the, the the sun is starting to set and i i i know that transition very well it's like uh, it's like time to get the headlamp out we're coming on uh, um our, our next checkpoint and you know i downed some mama <clears throat> and then i'm i'm just off i i literally spent no time at that aid station because i noticed everybody was just like you know mentally it looked on their faces like oh man it's it's nighttime we're gonna do some night running and i'm 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 just like i don't want to sit here and dwell about it i just want to like yep. go out yep. there and do it yeah and that's cool and kudos to you for doing that because that's one of the biggest things you just have to keep moving yeah. if you're in a low point don't stop unless it's to stop to talk with someone that's going to cheer you up or pick you up or, or something like that. If you're at an aid station, don't sit in a, you know, they, they say, beware the chair um, yeah. is, is kind of a term that's used, right? You sit in that chair and you're feeling kind of, and then you sit there and you go, Ooh, uh, okay. I'm not going to leave. Right. So yeah, yeah you know, just, just keep moving, keep moving. It'll pass. Yeah. Like all things, it'll pass. Exactly. Find that song that's deeply rooted back in you that has some meaning for you and just start singing. Sing it as loud as you want. There's nobody on the trail that'll judge your singing. I like that. I like that. Uh, what would you say were some of the biggest things that helped you in your training? You mentioned that you have a coach. You also mentioned earlier uh, before this podcast that you do a little bit of CrossFit. What, were yep. the, what, were, what would you say the biggest things were uh, that helped you uh, prepare for such a big event. I'm assuming that this was probably your A race for the year. Granted, we we didn't yep. have too many races for this yeah. year. 
So it, it's really interesting. I had a really interesting training leading up to this. So this was one of my A races for the year, and it almost didn't happen for me. Um, seven weeks before the race on September 6th, I was running a, a 50K race, the Cowito Trail. So so I, I was there at the starting line, ready, ready to go, um, and just was really pumped for that race. This was my first race since the Mehong Son in January. And then I, you know, was ready to go. Lockdown was over. Let, let's go. Let's get this underway. Um, and the gun went off and I took off screaming out of there and, and was going and felt really good doing it and was going really good um, until I got to kilometer 17 on some technical downhill. Um, and I just had a momentary lapse in concentration and I twisted my ankle, actually twisted it really, really bad. I thought it was broken. Oh, um, so it, and, you know, kind of hobbled the last three K to the aid station at 20 K there. Um, got put in the back of an ambulance and then taken off to the hospital. Cause when I took my sock off, my ankle was literally this big. Um, and it was already swollen and it was starting to hurt and just pain everywhere. So I went to the hospital, um, x-rays, everything else. It turned out it was okay. Um, so, so then, you know, that was, then you're kind of in, in a bummer and a disappointment and you know, Hey, this other race is coming up. How can I train? Mm -hmm. Um, so I didn't spend a lot of time actually running training up to this event. Um, I didn't run for three weeks after the Cowito trail. Um, got a physiotherapist and started working on a lot of the small things, just small strengthening things, lots of balance work, you know, get on a bosun ball and just get that balance work. Um, and then I did start running again ab about four weeks leading into the event, but it wasn't my typical buildup. I didn't have the long weeks. I had one week where I ran over 100K um, before the race. And, and typically for me coming into a race like that, there would be five or six weeks of, of 100 plus kilometers a week. Mm -hmm. um, building into that. So, you know, it gave me an opportunity to look at some different things with my training. And then this is where I added, you know, some of the CrossFit stuff um, into it just to try and build that muscle, muscle and muscle memory and build that endurance, but without a lot of impact. Mm. Um, I, and, and this is where I, I hooked up with Eric Bohm and effortless running as well. Um, to start to focus on my form, because one of the things I did in that three weeks when you're laying there, you can't run as a runner. That's like the worst period of ever because <laughs> you yeah, just totally. want to run. You don't know what to do. So you start, you know, dissecting everything in your running. And one of the things I thought was, well, if I can't have the volume buildup that I need and I can't push into it, what do I need to do to be able to go quickly or go well, and, and it's reduced the amount of effort you use in every stride. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I kind of hooked up with Eric in, on the effortless running and started really focusing on my form. Because um, everybody can run, not everybody can run well. Mm -hmm. um, until you, you actually analyze your form and look at it, it is, it is a very important part of, of running. Um, yeah. especially to run well is, is the form of running. And so started doing that with Eric started doing a lot of drills, which helped with my rehab. Cause basically the drills I was doing with Eric was stuff that my physio had recommended. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of like muscle, maybe even glute activation. Yeah. Glute activation and just lots of, it looked like sprinter drills, basically a lot of really slow, 
methodical, basically posing. We look like a couple of, of you know, Lipizzaner stallions out there doing dressage, you know, and, and that's really what we worked on, just trying to get that muscle activation without the impact of running, but to put it all together in the form of running mm-hmm. um, and, and lots of cycling and swimming. So, you know, for me, that was a, a really, really good confidence boost. To, to be able to go through the UTMB Thailand, have a good performance without the typical buildup. So that's something I'm working on going forward is incorporating all of that other stuff into my training regime. Yeah. Um, and the biggest thing out of that is I think I put in quality, not quantity. And, and that's what I would, you know, the biggest takeaway I would say to people is, is don't go out there and just plod out kilometer after kilometer after kilometer. If, if you're not enjoying it or you're not getting the value out of it, you want, it's better out to go out there and put in five, six, 10 K and do it really well and really on point than it is to go out there and just, you know, haphazardly throw 20 K in to check a box. Yeah. So does that mean that in the future, you will be running less volume. Like you won't have like five or six weeks where you have a hundred kilometer weeks. Like, does that, does that change that sort of training approach? So um, I don't think I'm far enough into my testing phase or experimentation phase with it to, to see if that's going to change. I think what it will mean for me is the volume will still be there, but I'll try and keep all the quality workouts. So I'll be working even more. And then that fits into my goal to, you know, stronger, faster. And and that's really my, my aim is as I'm looking to get some more speed, even more than what I had in in the UTMB race. Um, And that, and that's just working towards everything I'm, I'm looking for out of trail running. Yeah. That's cool. Um, going back to, I guess, uh, running form and going through Eric's, um, Eric's course, have you had your, your form analyzed before? Like you seem like pretty accomplished prior to, you know, the injury and then also, uh, taking on a a, a form class. So I guess what were the biggest takeaways, uh, that you got during this this uh, injury time and also going through Eric's Eric's form class. Yeah, so I'd never had my form analyzed before, mm-hmm. um, and and when Eric analyzed it, it wasn't a surprise to either one of us that it was pretty good. Yeah. Um, so so there wasn't a, a huge amount of takeaways, but there were okay. some small tweaks that we did. You know, I had a bit of a right side hip drop, which uh. now that to me triggered coinciding with some, you know, other races where I had lots of problems with my, my hips and my hip flexors giving me issues and having to run through pain for the last 30, 40 K because of my hip flexors. Now that all light bulb went off saying, Hey, well, your hip drop is causing your hip flexor pain, which is causing me to be inefficient in the last 20, 30 K of a race because I can't push it. I can totally relate. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so exactly. So, so let's, let's fix that. And, And it was just real small, subtle things, but what it did also, I think my biggest takeaway from that and what all that gave me in the Thailand from UTMB race was the confidence that I could go faster if I had to. Um, so I didn't need to be, you know, on the throttle all the time for the race because, you know, it was gun went off. I started in the lead and I stayed in the lead until the end, but my thought process wasn't, let's just keep pushing the whole race. Let's run the, my race, let's enjoy the race. 
And if someone catches up to me, well, I know I've got the confidence to run quicker and, and let's have a drag race finish. Let's, you know, let's give the people something to talk about. Let's enjoy yeah. this last few Ks. And if someone was able to catch me and pass me um, when I was running at my optimum and they passed me, hey, they put in a better effort, better training and had a, had a better strategy than me. So kudos, high five at the finish line and well done. I'll get you next time. Yeah. When fatigue sets in, that's when form gets sacrificed, right? Yes. So yep. you're talking about protecting the finish and being able to be in the position where you're able to have that drag race and put in your best effort <laughs> the last 10 kilometers of a hundred kilometer race or even longer. So yeah, that's so what, very important. Yeah. And on that, what I'd recommend if, if people are looking at having their form analyzed, have it analyzed when you're fresh. You've just done a little bit of a warm up. Go for a run. You have your form analyzed at that run, but also do an analysis after you've had your long run. Mm. So go for a long run day because that's exactly the key. Form gets sacrificed when we're tired. We're mentally not sharp. The body's starting to to niggle in in places. We've got some sore muscles, so we're going to sacrifice form just because it feels good. Um, so I would have it analyzed then because then you have some really good takeaways where you just build a mental checklist and that mental checklist will help you during a race where you can, okay, well now I'm doing this with my arm or this with my leg or this with my foot, whatever it may be. And you can say, okay, that's not right. And then you correct yourself and you keep going. Um, what that also does is it just gives you something else in your mental um, armoire to go to when you're in a low moment, you can focus on form instead of, man, I'm hungry. My feet are wet. This hurts. It's muddy out here. Why am I here? Instead you say, okay, well, am I doing this right? Am I pulling? Am I striding correctly? Mm -hmm. Am I leaning right? And, and then that just gets you focused on something else and away you go. And pretty soon your mind forgets about that. Everything sucks. <laughs> I love that. And actually that's the perfect segue because we're talking about combating low moments. Can you share like a particular race or maybe even uh, just a run where things didn't go so well or as well as you expected? And maybe it could even be your favorite DNF if, if you ever DNF'd. Um, what would you say that was? Yeah. And, and I'll, I will share, and I, I will very gladly call it my favorite DNF um, because, and, and I don't think it's, you know, DNFs are, are not a bad thing. I don't think nobody wants to DNF, but if you look at it in the right mindset as this is a learning opportunity, you gain so much more out of failure than you do success. Mm. Um, and, and that's just in life in general. But for me, it, it was my, well, I guess it would have been my third ultra. Um, ever. And it was in 2016, October 5th, um, the Atacama Desert Crossing um, by Four Deserts, which is a 250 kilometer stage race um, across the Atacama Desert. That was and your third said, ultra? And and as I said, it was my third ultra. I don't do things small. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I like, to, wow. like, to, like to jump in with both feet. And I think that's something I really learned there. You know, I was, I was overweight, I was underprepared, and I was overconfident. Um, and I made it to the third day. So I'd run about 120 kilometers um, of the race. And, and yeah, the wheels had just fallen off the bus. I had, you know, absolutely 
destroyed both of my shins. Um, I thought they were shin splints, but they were stress fractures um, in, in both of my legs Be- because I was just running too fast. I wasn't used to running with a pack. I didn't train properly, but was overconfident. So you would get these moments of this adrenaline rush and you would just turn it on. Um, and, and so before the morning of the fourth day, I, I mean, I never slept the night, the, the third night to the fourth. I never slept. My legs were throbbing. Everything hurt in my legs. Um, and I just couldn't do it. I know there was no way I could put in another 120 K not a chance. Um, so it was, for me, it was a really, really hard decision and it really affected me, um, because of that overconfidence and, and, you know, I can do anything. And just, I would say almost that, that male ego, um, gets in the way sometimes. And, and it was really, really hard for me to say, Hey, listen, I'm done. Um, but I did it. Um, the good thing is I, I stuck around with the race. So I went and worked at aid stations and everything else um, for the rest of the race. And I think that helped me get through it because I was high-fiving runners. I was a little bit, oh, poor me, the Eeyore, you know, yeah. for a first little bit in the morning. Um, but then I went to the aid stations and started high-fiving runners and, you know, filling up water bottles and then, you know, seeing all my friends come through the race and <laughs> seeing how much they were hurting and, and and cheering them on. And then they would get a boost of energy and go. So that kind of got me through that um, low period. Um, but when I did get back home from from Chile and, and home at that time, I was living in Houston um, with my family and when I got back home, I kind of got that little bit of runner's depression in again, you know, why am I doing this? You know, I'm not enjoying this. My legs hurt. I couldn't walk properly for a few weeks. Um, but then again, that, that eventually it passed and it got through. And then I started, you know, seeing running events and people out running and starts getting the bug back. Um, and, and once I did get the bug back, I thought, okay, this time we're going to do it properly. So, so let's, you know, let's train properly. Let's lose some of this weight that I had gained from, you know, living the Texas lifestyle, you know, big, big meals, big meals and big beers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, it was just a really holistic focus on health. Let's, let's lose some of this weight and let's train properly. Um, and, and that was really the springboard in, into really the successes I had. So I ran a few races around Texas um, and then really enjoyed it. Got a fourth place in a 100K event there, um, which in Texas is pretty good because they're pretty competitive. Um, and, and, then, and then went back for another one of the four deserts. And that was the Nemib race. And that was kind of my... That was my revenge race for the desert stage races. And then they ended up in, in sixth place um, with some pretty good competition. So to me, that was validation of everything I had done up to that point. Mm. Um, and I think it was, a, it was a pretty good story. And it was a good story. It was a story that the race organizers used to share with some of the other people who had DNF'd in that race. Said, listen, it's not fatal. Go talk to Mike ask him about his story so to me that's really where I turned that failure or that really low point into a success and and it's helped me the whole time because you always remember that Um, I've never gone into a race you know underprepared and overconfident again yeah so did you just double down (laughs) on your efforts in terms of preparation uh you mentioned that you took a more holistic approach to you know everything you you cut down some weight you probably did double your efforts in terms of training was there anything specific that uh you took from the race in Chile and then you're like okay there was a lot of um I don't know <coughs> and or a lot of incline like how did you like piece together like a training plan specific to a desert race 
250 kilometers of a desert race. What did your volume look like per week? Like, how did you prepare? Did you get a coach during that time? Like, what were the the bigger uh, recipe pieces that helped you knock it out of the park? Yeah. So, I mean, desert races are, are unique beasts. Um, I think they're they're really hard to to fully train for um, mm-hmm. simply because we don't have a desert. Most of us don't have a desert in our backyard. Um, yeah. and, and even if you have some sand, it doesn't have the full semblance. So I, I looked at what do I need to do to my body to get it used to that feeling that it had in the Atacama. And that was really, let's make it uncomfortable. Let's make my body uncomfortable and let's get used to being uncomfortable and adjust to that. Um, so, you know, Texas is hot. So I would train in, in the middle of the day. I would go for my runs on, on the weekends because I was working, you know, full-time job then. Um, so I would go for my weekend long runs instead of starting them at five or six o'clock in the morning when everybody else did because it yeah. was, you know, nice and cool then. I would start my long run at 11 o'clock. Yeah and run through the heat of the day. I would run with a long sleeve shirt on just that, that conditioning your body to not be comfortable. Um, and then okay. I didn't pick up a coach then I think picking up a coach would have been a great thing to do because that would have gave me even further knowledge and, and more extra steps. Um, but I did a lot of research. That's something I hadn't done before I started watching race reviews and, and looking at terrain specific, you know, train for the race you're going to run or train for the environment you're going to run. Even if you can't simulate that environment, simulate elements of it, mm-hmm. um, try and get uncomfortable, go to, go to the beach. If you can find it, if you're going to run a desert race, if you can't, well, you need to do heat training. So you need yeah. to get out and haunt. Um, Thailand's great for that. I mean, we've, we've got sand and we've got heat. So, so desert training here is, is pretty good, you know, but you always have to try and put as much race specifics into your training as you can. And then for me, it was the biggest revelation was nutrition. Um, because it it doesn't matter how much you run. If if you're not fueling the beast correctly, then, then all your efforts are, you know, you're only getting maybe 20 or 30% of the effort versus you can get 80 to 90% if you fuel correctly, you know, every, you know, going for a run and then coming back and then eating, you know, half a cheese pizza and, you know, everything else, a couple of beers, you know, that that's not recovery fuel that that's not runner fuel. It is after you've run a big race. Yes. Treat yourself please for the first two days. I mean, that's my first two recovery days. Day one is called pizza and day two is called burgers. Um, you know, so after a race, go ahead, but in training leading up to it, you know, fuel your body correctly. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, and I'm not an advocate of, of, you know, fad diets and everything else. And then to me, it, it doesn't matter what people eat as long as they know their body and they know what it needs and they eat correctly to fuel that part of it. And, and that was a success. And then the other one was really on preparation of gear. So I went into that race, not knowing a lot about desert ultras went in with, I think my backpack without water weighed almost 12 kilos. Mm -hmm. And then you add a liter and a half of water. Um, Whereas some of the elite runners that were in the race in the Atacama and some of the people that were winning were five and a half and six kilos. So their backpack weighed half the amount of mine that's a big difference yeah. when you have to lug that thing for 40 K a day, every day. Yeah. Um, so I did a lot of research on, on gear and, and race fueling and, and, you know, what's a high 
high calorie, low weight foods, low weight gear, you know, get got into the the scientific part of it and ended up going to, I mean, me, I'm a bigger guy, so I can't survive on, on the 2000 calorie minimum a day. Yeah. Um, so I, I took about 3000 calories a day and that was just enough for me. Um, and my pack for the Namib race came in at just over seven kgs. And, okay. and most of that was food. So, so to me, that made a big difference as well. That reduced all of the additional weight and impact that was on my lower body, especially for, you know, shin splints, stress fractures, things like that. When it comes to training for ultras, I'm always like trying to like research, you know, scroll through Reddit. Like, do people like run with their packs on to like simulate the weight? Because like, you know, w- when we're doing these, 80 or a hundred or even more, we're going to be running with, you know, at least like four or three uh, kgs on us. Is it best to train with that sort of weight when we're running, like to, you know, normalize it? Like what, what are your thoughts on that? So before the Atacama, I never did. Um, leading up to the Namib race, I did start training with my pack and, and with some stuff in it. Um, and, and that's something I've took away. I, I do train with a pack. Um, I, I train with it probably at least once a week, but I just build it into my long runs. Got it. So in my long run, I basically go on my long run with the idea of being self-sufficient for the entire long run, no matter if you can hit a seven 11, or if there is a, a viewpoint somewhere that you can buy water or, or buy a Coke or whatever it is, I go into it with the view of if I'm going for a 40 or a 50 K long run, I need to go from a to B with only what's in my pack. I like that. Um, and, and here in Thailand, that's generally a lot of water. Yeah. A lot of water, <laughs> you know, especially, especially me coming from, from Canada. Um, you know, I sweat a lot here. So, you know, and, and the best part about taking water as a weight is as you drink it, your pack gets lighter, mm-hmm. um, which benefits you because when your legs are fresh, it doesn't take as much of a toll. So as your legs are getting more tired and you're more prone to potential injuries from ha- carrying the heavy load the whole way, your load has gotten lighter the entire time. That's true. That's true. Um, and, and the other thing is, if you take a lot of extra water and you just feel like, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm tired of lugging all this water for a while. I'm not going to need it. You just dump it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you run with a lighter pack and away you go. But that that's how I build into my pack runs because it does. It, you do need to train some of that. And it's not just your legs. You need to train your shoulders, your back, your body, how to posture. We posture differently when we have weight on our upper body. Yeah. Um, so you want to build that into your run so that you make sure you keep that correct posture and form. Otherwise, you will start having hips. Your lower back will hurt. Um, your shoulders will be really sore. Yeah. Things like yeah. that. I guess the next time that I'd send a, a form analysis to Eric, I'm probably going to do it after like uh, a 20 K run with my pack on just to see like, <laughs> <laughs> Eric, I, my, my form might be a little, uh, <laughs> sacrifice yeah. here. Yeah, exactly. How does this look coach? <laughs> it's what you're training for, right? If you're going to run ultras, you're going to run with a pack. Mm-hmm. If you're going to run on a track, you're going to run with a singlet. So, so you need to simulate that. And if you're not used to doing either one, when it comes to race day, you're not comfortable with it. 
Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the biggest thing. You want to be able to be comfortable with your pack and you don't want to be fumbling around with things. I want to know, okay, water with electrolytes is here. Water is here. Gel is here. Gel is here. Poles are here. It, it just becomes robotic movements that you don't need to think about. And it doesn't give you the additional opportunity to stress yourself out. Oh, where's this? Where's yeah. that? Oh my gosh. Where's yeah, this? I, you I know? can't reach. I can't reach this. Yeah, and I exactly. Yeah. I can't reach it. This is rubbing here. Now I've got a big rub mark, you know, thing, mm-hmm. things like that. Oh man, I don't like hard bottles. I should have went for soft flasks. And those are all things that it's great now that people are talking about them because people can pick them up and learn them. Um, I learned most of those the hard way. Um, I ended up with two bruised ribs because of hard bottles um, okay. bounce it, bouncing around in, in the Canadian death race where it got really cold. So it got down to four degrees. So my water bottles actually froze. So it was basically two big ice bricks bouncing up and down and hitting me in the ribs for a hundred K, um, which didn't end well, but it was a great learning experience. I've never put a hard bottle in my bag again. Some people swear by them, but I'll only have a soft bottle of mine, you know, and those are the type of things you never learn unless you train with it, research it, or experience it in a race. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it, it's great if you can research it, train it, and then not have to experience it in a race. Got it. <laughs> so we, we spoke about gear, we spoke about nutrition and we spoke about training load, but another really big essential piece to training is training the mind, the mental, right? So yeah. whenever we encounter really bad low points, uh, are there any like mental strategies or mental things that you do? You mentioned, you know, celebrating the small wins, but is there anything particular that you think about or you do that takes you out of those low moments when, when you're yep. trying to push through them? Yeah. And to me, mental is the biggest part of an ultra. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that is it. I mean, it, it's not easy, but most people can train up to and, and run, say a marathon distance or, or run a 50 K event, you know, with, with some training, a little bit of preparation. Once you get longer, the, the further you go, the more it relies on mental toughness versus that, you know, what we would consider the, the physique yeah. toughness. Um, and, and that's, that's where it's all at. And you have to have those tips and those tricks in your arsenal. And for everybody, it's different, but you need to find something that speaks to you and, and helps you get through it. I mean, my, my hair is standing up right now, just thinking about it because I know what my tips and tricks are. And, and most of it revolves, it's my family, it's my kids, mm. you know, they're, they're kind of my life. I start thinking about them and thinking about why am I doing this? And, 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 you know, let's make them proud. Let's show them that you can push through things. If something's difficult, push through it. Don't take the easy way out. Mm-hmm. Don't just stop. Don't sit on the side of the trail and, you know, swear and get mad and, and this and that. Just push through it, put on a smile and, and keep going. And, and, you know, would they be proud if I did throw the flag in mm-hmm. and there wasn't something really drastically wrong? Obviously, injuries are different. Um, but if it's just your mind telling you you can't do it, that then you need to find your, your way through that. Um, music helps as well. Um, I don't like to run races with music. I, I do some of my training with music. Um, but when I'm running the race, I like to really connect with nature and, and just be out there for running. Um, but I always have a, a repertoire of a few songs that'll get me through low moments. And like I say, I'll sing them at the top of my lungs. Um, not very many people will comment on your singing skills when you're running through the jungle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, that helps. Um, lots of times when we get in a low moment and our mind starts playing tricks with us, it's because we haven't ate or drank enough. 
Mm-hmm. So, so if you're getting into that moment, always just stop and have something to eat, have something yeah. to eat and have something to drink and, and give that 10 or 15 minutes to work its way through. And you might find that that even just that boost, that little extra calories and that little extra hydration will start to pick you up. Yeah. Um, and, and then, but it's, it's just that mental toughness and, and you have to train that too. You can't just say, Oh, I'm going to be mentally strong. I'm going to be mentally strong. I think I can, I think I can, you know, that works, but it only works to a certain extent. Yeah. And, and that's where that getting uncomfortable, get comfortable with being uncomfortable training comes in, you know, don't run when it's easy. Don't train when it's easy, train when it's hard, train when it's hot, train when it's raining, you know, train in these variety of elements. You know, I love to run in the rain. Running in the rain is, is therapeutic for me, but it's just training your mind to say that, well, okay, it's raining, big deal. Um, it's really, really hot. Okay. It's really, really hot. Yeah. This kind of sucks. Big deal. Let's drink some extra water, take some extra, you know, electrolyte salt tabs. Um, but just get comfortable with that being uncomfortable. And I think that's where the, the high intensity training comes in and the CrossFit comes in as well, you know, because you're redlining your body so many times throughout that. And you feel moments where it's like, man, this really sucks. And then you got to go again and then you got to go again and then you got to go again. So that's kind of that mental training that that gives you that you don't experience just from going out for an easy run. When you're training for ultras, it seems like almost every day is literally just an opportunity to train everything about yourself. And that, that translates well into life. Like I, I always tell my friends who ask about like running long distances, like, what is it like? And I'm just like, well, it's kind of like a microcosm for life, right? Yep. You, you're expected to have those low moments. You're expected, you're guaranteed high moments, but it's really the low moments that are just like, how do you prepare for those? Yep. Did I do enough training leading up to this? Not even just like the volume, because we can all do that. Uh, but is it really being comfortable with being uncomfortable? Like what you said. I completely agree. And I've used so much of what I've learned in running in, in business and, and vice versa. Tactics that I've learned in business seminars on business management into running. Um, like the, the sphere of influence and the sphere of concern. You know, and, and that's something that I bring into running that I learned in business, where if you focus more of your energy on what you can influence, then what you actually can influence gets bigger. But if you focus more of your energy on what concerns you, but you have no influence over what you can actually influence becomes much smaller, mm. you know, and, and that's particular where, where I say the rain and the mud. You know, at UTMB, yeah, it's been raining. Yes, it's muddy. Can I change that? No. What can I do to help best prepare myself for that? Well, let's go out there and have some fun in the mud. I can't yeah. change it, so why not enjoy it? Um, and, and those are just tips that I learned in business that I've brought into running and, and vice versa, taking low points or, or some of those learnings from failure of running and brought them into business and said, Hey, you know what? It's okay not to succeed every time we'll get this next time. What did we learn from it? Let's have an after action review. Let's break this down. Let's thoroughly go through and see what do we need to do better for next time? Most of my audience already knows this, but I actually started this podcast because of a DNF that I experienced on my second ultra uh, back in February. And yeah, this has been such a a great learning experience. So being able to pick minds like yours, especially at a really high competitive level has been really uh, a great learning experience. And, you know, 
day over day, it's, it's just built up to being able to get my revenge race in about three months. So <laughs> yes, super stoked for that. Yeah, but that, that's awesome. And, and I think that that's amazing. And I'm glad to be part of that journey for you as well. I mean, that that's what I really enjoy that. I love talking running. I love helping runners. I love giving people all my tips and tricks. Mm -hmm. And if someone I give all my tips and tricks, even if they're my competitor and they come out there and beat me in a race because they've used my tips and tricks, that would make me more proud than winning the race. I just think that's cool. So, so th thanks for, you know, letting me be part of that journey and, and having the realization that you needed to make that journey of and course. revenge races are awesome. Yeah. They just go into it with a smile and yeah. When you cross that finish line, it just makes it, it it's the cherry on the top of the Sunday, man. <laughs> I, I, I mentioned for it. I mentioned for it. Um, just curious. So you said that you got, what was it third or fourth in uh another ultra in texas and that was yeah. like pretty recent after you started doing ultras right yeah I, I know that everybody's different but in terms of like uh your training and leading up to i guess being competitive at a high level how, how long did that take you in terms of like steadfast focus in your training like Obviously, you're a re really competitive person, like from the get go. But I'm just curious how that ramping up um, in, I guess, affirmation of oneself to be like, well, yeah, it can actually be really competitive. When did that realization come to you? Yeah, I, I think that was probably the race where it came to me. Um, and, and I probably, you know, admittedly, I didn't have the best buildup. I didn't have a very good training program when I was, was in, in the U S um, you know, which is kind of a, a downfall because there are amazing people, amazing runners there. And I, I think I could have progressed better there. Um, but you know, that race was more of, of how I ran it. And, and, you know, I kind of got in with the, actually it was a two loop race, 50 K each loop. Um, but I ran my first 50 K loop with the lady that won the 50 K race. So the first female overall, and, and we just started talking, she had kids, they were there camping and, you know, I had my kids, we were there camping and, and we just kind of hit it off from almost before the start line. And, and then we just went out together and, and she basically, I, I mean, I almost used her as a pacer, um, for the first 50 K and, and then just had a really good second 50 K. So I think that helped me more than the training leading up to that. Yeah. Um, but for me, when I moved back to Asia full time, you know, about four years ago is, is, or no, three years ago now, because I, I raced for a year in Texas and then really been at it three years here in Asia. That's where I started to get some, some validation of, Hey, I can be good at this sport if I put some effort into it. Um, and it, it was only, yeah, about 12, 12, yeah, 12, 16 months ago that I actually got a trail running coach and then I hooked up with a, a proper coach and got on a proper program versus, you know, kind of this self-prescribed program. And, and we see the results, you know, almost immediately um, coming if you put in that effort and that focus. And, and that's where I really went from. And, and I had a mindset shift there as well, which may be or maybe not detrimental. I think it was in my first few ultras that I ran after the mindset shift. And that was before when I ran an ultra, my mindset was to complete it. Mm -hmm. But then I shifted to the compete mindset. So I went from, I'm going to complete this ultra to I'm going to compete in this ultra. Um, and, and that 
took a little bit because then I would have down moments in the race, not because I wasn't moving or because I knew I wouldn't complete it. It's because I was slipping positions. People mm-hmm. were passing me. Um, and, and it wasn't until I got a coach and started realizing that, you know what, that happens. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very rare that you, you know, it doesn't happen all the time that you're in first or in the position you want to be for the entire race. It, it's more of a seesaw battle and, and you need to learn how to manage that. And you need to focus on running your race and then you need to put in even more preparation. If you want to complete great, you need to prepare really well. If you want to compete, you need to prepare even more. And that's and, more emphasis on the, the quality of the workouts rather than just correct, like straight up volume, right? Correct, correct. You know, to complete it, it's volume, you're looking at getting the volume. You still want quality workouts. You don't want to be just dragging along in your workouts, um, but you still want to get that volume in there. And if you get that volume, you'll complete. When you move into the compete, then it becomes quality workouts. You need to work you need to work your weaknesses, not work your strengths. Your strengths are your strengths. Don't, don't, you know, train them. Yes. Keep them your strengths, but don't focus on them. Focus on, on where are your weaknesses? Why do I get passed in a race? Where do I get passed in a race? How can I get better at that? Yeah. And, and then if you can put all that together, then, as I said, you have that, you know, that real confidence in a race where you know what, if someone wants to go out, flat out, out of the gun for the first 10K, go ahead. For the first 20K, go ahead. I know I'll see you later. And, and when I do, I'll be fresher. I'll feel better. And that happens so much. Mm-hmm. We, we become, um, you know, we become reaction racers. We start running faster, not because we know we can or we need to. We start running faster because somebody else is. Mm-hmm. And when we become a reaction racer, then you start to see you, you have these failures and you don't have the quality performances that you want. Yeah. Cause you're not focusing on your own. Um, you're, you're just straight up reacting to everybody else around. Cause you're not focusing on you. You're only focusing on exactly who's ahead of me. Who's ahead of me. How do I get them faster, 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 faster. And, and pretty soon you just, and you bomb right and it's, it's game over then. Yeah. You know, it's just running your own race and having your confidence and, and picking your moments. You know, when I go into a race, I know where I'm going to, if there are people are ahead of me, I know where I'm going to try and put on the gas and catch them. Mm-hmm. I know where I'm going to back off, you know, and, and that's all part of your race prep. I think that was something else I, I really learned is, is you need to prepare, familiarize yourself with race, you know, get to know the elevation profile, the distances, um, aid stations. You know, I generally, before I go on a race, I have all the distances between the aid stations put into memory. Mm-hmm. So, you don't you don't need to give me a bib with the distances. You don't need to tell me them that that's here because that's part of my preparation. I know what I have to do in between those segments. Mm-hmm. And then that's exactly what I mentioned before about making the race bite-sized. And plan you know? for those uh, small victories ahead of time, right? And, and plan for those small victories, right? Exactly. Have your victory celebration, whether it's a, a bag of gummy bears, a, a Snickers bar, whatever it may be, you know, have those ready for when you reach something like that. Yeah. It just really helps. Boom. Michael, thank you. Uh, we're, we're coming to the end of our, our quick interview, but yeah, I want to thank you again for sharing your knowledge, your expertise, your smile, uh, (laughs) on this episode of Nomad Wall. Um, I know we're still in 2020, but 
uh, I feel like things are really starting to turn, uh, in my opinion. Uh, yep. Do you have anything coming up uh, for the end of the year or even for the start of 2021 uh, in terms of races or anything that we should look forward to seeing you in? Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm done racing for 2020. I think that was a really good coup de grace, a victory lap, if you want to say it, at the Thailand UTMB. And now I'm just going to focus on, on getting back into my training regime, recovery, you know, holiday season's coming up. I got three kids, so I'm going to enjoy some of that. Um, but I will be starting 2020 pretty or 2021 pretty early. I'm going to run the West Wind Trail, um, which is the, the Journey 120K event. And, and that's on the 30th of January, um, up in Pi. So that'll be my, my first event for this year. And then let, let's, let's see what happens. I think I have a few big projects in, in the bank. Um, and let's see if they're done either in Thailand or if, you know, things open back up internationally, I have some, some big things that I would like to do. Um, and we'll definitely be, you know, posting those and, and making people aware of those when they come closer to being a reality. But definitely the West Wind Trail um, will be my first race, the 120K event. So awesome. looking forward to it. So I only have three more questions left, but before we get into that, uh, where can people find you if they want to connect with you, connect with you online? Yeah. So, I mean, the best places to find me is Facebook and, and Instagram. Um, so Facebook, it, it's Michael McLean. Um, and I'm sure you'll see the profile picture with the smile and that, that's your cue that it's me, but yeah, it's Michael McLean, um, on Facebook and then on Instagram, it's, um, at honey badger one nine eight two. And yeah, so come follow me there. And if you, if you follow me there, or have some questions, um, I'll, I'll give you the story behind the honey badger. That's a, a really Actually, good story. I, I, I well. kind of want to ask you now, because obviously the honey badger doesn't give a fuck, but um, there, there, there's a little bit more of a story there, right? Yeah, so there is. And then that's from the Namib race, um, the, the honey badger. So in these desert ultras, you're in a tent with people, um, seven other people for the, the whole week. And then you're running together, you're staying together. And, and that's where it really came from was the, the viral YouTube videos about the honey badger and the honey badger doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Um, but it was given in a really positive light. It was given by one of my really good friends who I met at the race, Leon Clarence. Um, and he was coming in, he was having a bad day and I had just ran a really good, I, I finished fourth place for the day all the other elite runners, they're laying in their tents with their feet up, they're eating, they're recovering. I'm at the finish line with a drum and I'm sitting there playing the drums and I played the drums for about six hours that day. Um, you know, as people were crossing the finish line, cheering, I, I was running out and running back in with people, you know, helping them cross the finish line. And it was, and, and Leon had come across and he wasn't having the greatest day and he, he come across and his first words out of his mouth were, you really don't give a shit, do you? And from there, everybody else in the tent was like, the honey badger doesn't give a shit either. And it, it just stuck. And that just was my personality. I didn't care about myself. I didn't have that self-preservation. I was there to help everybody else. I, I was doing whatever it took to make everyone else happy. So that was kind of that honey badger mentality. And that's just kind of stuck with me. And I thought it was pretty cool. So, so that's become kind of my mantra is, is, yeah, don't, don't give a shit too much about things. Um, have fun with it, roll with it. You're strong enough to push through it. I'm stoked to <laughs> interview the honey badger in that mentality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. 
Um, so last three questions. Oh, and everybody for uh, that's listening, I'm going to link all of Michael's social profiles in, in, in the show notes below. So if you want to connect with him, just uh, find those links and yeah, shoot Honey Badger a message. Awesome. Awesome. And, and yeah, like I said, I, I love to talk running. I love to help people out running life, anything. Just drop me a line. Sounds good. Uh, so last three questions. Uh, what do you live by daily? Is there a quote, mantra, something that kind of keeps you grounded? So the quote I've, I've lived by, I've lived by it since I was 19 years old. Um, I, I had a James Dean poster up in my room and it, it said, dream like you live forever, but live like you'll die today. And, and, and that's, that's kind of my mantra, right? You know, and, and not live like you'll die today by taking risks and being crazy and, you know, racing cars, the whole James Dean thing, but live, live in the moment, enjoy everything. You know, if you're going to go out today, go out happy, mm. you know, don't, don't be grumpy, but, but dream like you live forever, have big dreams, have big aspirations and, and just go after them. Don't be held back by what people say we should do or people think we should do. If you want it, go get it. And, and, and that's really my, my everyday. And that's what I try and instill into my kids every day. Um, so that that's, yeah, that's me. Yeah. And I'm sure, um, I'm sure they see it with when, when they see that their dad crushes another hundred, hundred kilometer big dream and he does it with a smile on his face. That's, that's pretty damn inspirational. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's powerful. It's really, really powerful. Cool. Uh, what are your essential or favorite pieces of gear that you need for your, for your races? My essentials, um, probably the stuff I put the most time in selecting and, and using is my shoes. Mm. So, and, and now I'm, I'm running exclusively in Scott running shoes and I couldn't be happier. They've got a really good range of, of kick-ass ultra shoes, um, whether it's for muddy, gnarly, nasty conditions, or whether it's a, a lighter shoe with more cushioning that you can just put some top speed in with. Yeah. Um, that that's a big thing for me is, is shoes. Cause it makes such a difference. Um, if your feet aren't comfortable in an ultra, you're going to hate it. And, and a lot of times you won't finish because of bad feet. Mm -hmm. um and, and the other one's nutrition nutrition and hydration um and i use unived products for that their gel and their drink mix and why i like both of them is because the gel and the drink mix have the exact same um, nutritional and makeup composition there's nothing different between them other than one is in a gel form and the other is in a powder form so you just add more water to it um, which really makes sure your body doesn't get a shock from different types of things it just has that steady almost drip feed of, of nutrition that's exactly the same through the day and then it allows you to vary different flavors different textures different levels of caffeination I like um, and those are those are pretty much my my go-tos um it, so if i could take those if i could put on a good pair of shoes and had somewhere to stick my gels then i wouldn't need anything else yeah you know it might not be very good running in Thailand with nothing else on, but Hey, that that's all it would need, you know, really for me to run a race. Everything else on top of that is accessorizing. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious for uh, the Thailand by UTMB, what shoes did you use from Scott? So I use this Scott, the super track 
um, RC2s, which is their newest model that's come out. It's It's got a really, really aggressive tread pattern. It was designed for mainly sky running, mm-hmm. um, but it's got a really deep lug that clears out really well. Um, it's got a really nice mesh upper, which is really comfortable, but it also has really, really good drainage. Um, so if you're running through, I mean, we're in the 120K, we ran through probably 15 kilometer section of river where you're in the river the whole time. If your shoes don't drain, that's going to suck because now you've got these waterlogged shoes for the rest of the race. So they had really good drainage. Um, so, so that's my go-to shoe when it's, it's muddy, kind of nasty conditions like that. Cool. I got to check those out sometime. <laughs> um, and the last question, what makes you feel the most alive? For, for me, feeling alive is just that feeling, that feeling of, and, and I had it several times during the UTMB race. The starting line was a prime example. You know, you're standing there holding, holding the banner, you're getting ready to go, and, and the hair on your body just stands up, and everything else around you disappears. So when I have that feeling and I truly feel like I'm alive, nothing else is around me. It, it's just me. It's you and your element. There, there's no other distractions. Everything else is is just white noise, and and that's really that that to me is is just that cool feeling, and you know. And I think that's something as a as an ultra runner, you're always chasing that, um, and and that's you know starting lines give you that. There's sections in the race where you see that you got these beautiful vistas and you're running really well, um, you know, or you're at the finish line you know, the finish lines, you get it. And, and for me, it usually starts just before the finish line. You know, you, you have that realization that you've done this, you've completed the race, or you are going to win this thing. And, that, and that's pretty cool. You know, the hair stands up. And, and again, you become yourself in just your own little bubble. And then you also get it as a parent. I mean, that that's something where, where I get it from my kids when they do something and it makes me, you know, you get that super proud feeling. And, and that again, that becomes, then it's just you and them in your little bubble. And then you're alive together. Thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the Nomad Wolf podcast. It really means so much that you guys take the time out of your day to spend it with me and our guests. I really hope that today's content here and on the blog helps you on your path. If you're a new listener and like what you hear, feel free to hit the subscribe button. We'll be interviewing more Nomad Wolves and unpacking more secrets and stories that you don't want to miss. I'm going to leave you guys right here, but in the meantime, take care, take care of each other, stay present, and do your best to move forward, even if it's only a little bit. I'll catch you next time. Peace.